Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the History Hit Warfare podcast. I'm your host, James Rogers, and as you know, each week, twice a week, I bring you brand new original episodes on military history. But once a week, I like to delve deep into the Dan Snow's History Hit archive and pull out an episode, a bonus episode, that needs a bit of attention. And as we approach Trafalgar Day later this month, I wanted to dig out an excellent episode with Andrew Baines, who's curator of HMS Victory. He talks to Dan about the events of the 21st of October October 1805, about the ship, the Battle of Trafalgar itself, and of course the man who won it, Vice Admiral Horatio Nelson. So here is Dan and Andrew on the Battle of Trafalgar. Well, we're recording this on Trafalgar Day, on the 21st of October. Let us talk. You're the curator of HMS Victory. Let's actually, let's first of all talk about Victory, because it was, Trafalgar was not its first rodeo. Victory has a a long history before Trafalgar, doesn't it? Uh, Absolutely. Victory's um, story really begins um, almost half a century before um, Trafalgar, um, during the Seven Years' War. Um, when the decision is made that the Royal Navy um, needs some new ships and new, needs them pretty quickly. Um, and so work starts on what is going to become Victory um, and is, at the time, the largest warship in the world. So when they start building the ship, um, there is uh, an expectation and she has a reputation and she's she's almost famous, if you like, before she's even um, floated out. Um, the problem uh, we have as far as Victory's concerned is that she actually never serves in the Seven Years' War um, because um, she's named for um, 1759, the year of victories, um, and in particular um, a fantastic uh, naval victory at the Battle of Quiberon Bay where the French fleet is effectively put out of action as far as we're um, concerned. The downside for Victory is, although she gets a nice shiny name, there's now not a need for her. Um, And so the Royal Navy dials back um, the work on construction and she's only floated out two years after the war ends. And she's then placed immediately in reserve and she sits in reserve for 13 years. And then... A war presents itself, the American War of Independence, and she serves in in that war. When did, did, when does Nelson begin its his association with HMS Victory? 
Um, well, uh, Nelson, there's there's nice stories about Nelson going down um, to to join the navy and seeing victory um, off off Chatham. I'm not sure how true um, they are. Um, Nelson's presence and association um, with victory really begins um, towards the end of the um, 18th century. Um, victory is um, the flagship of a, an admiral called um, John Jarvis. Um, a, a very famous battle, uh, the Battle of uh, Cape St Vincent. Uh, and actually that's when, um, immediately after that battle, St Vincent writes about victory being badly decayed and every time somebody steps off the ladder above his deck the whole ship shakes and you can see the sea through the seams and um, it, it really recommends that she should go for breaking up. So um, Nelson's association um, with victory was almost a very, very brief one. But she was she was kept on, and so presumably extensively rebuilt. Yeah. So after um, the Battle of Cape St Vincent, the, the decision is she's probably not worth the cost of repair. So um, they intend to use her as a hospital ship, um, and we're talking sometime late 1797 uh, into 1798 at this point. That's not too bad um, as far as the ship structure is concerned. They take the guns out of her, and she's filled with cots and, and, and hammocks um, uh, for people in need of medical attention. Um, then the decision is made that they're going to convert it to a prison ship and that would have been the end of the line. That's big holes made in the ship's side um, and really it would have been inconceivable that she could have been um, returned to service um, economically. It would have been much cheaper and quicker in fact to build a new ship. So there's some debate over whether or not that should be done. Um, events uh, intervene on Victory's behalf. The Royal Navy loses a couple of ships, and so in 1800 they decide that they are going to um, take her through what was estimated as a middling repair, so a fairly significant repair that's probably going to take her a, a year or so. In point of fact, um, it turns into a great repair, as, as um, they're known. Victory is very um, extensively um, uh, modified, large sections of the planking and the decks and the whole um, are replaced. Um, but she's brought forward in 1803, um, just as um, uh, the war, which had um, we'd had a peace, the war uh, is clearly or a war is going to start again, and Nelson needs to select a flagship. And Victory, which has a reputation as a fast um, sailor is available and so again just circumstances um, collide and Nelson is able to select Victory as his flagship um, to take her out to the Mediterranean. Uh, we should say uh, how much okay so how, what proportion of HMS Victory is is material from the original build beginning in 1759? Um, very very little um, is the answer we've got um, some sections of the keel the majority of the keels, so for some uh, bomb damage from the Second World War, um, and elements of the transom timbers. Uh, these are the timbers that are at the back of the ship, that if you stand um, alongside, you can see those wonderful um, stern galleries, all the, w the windows and the carved work. The fundamental structure underlying that um, is very, very old indeed and is likely to date to um, the ship's construction. Um, beyond that, um, she's very, very much like um, an individual. Every cell in our body, I believe, is replaced um, at least once every 20 years. Victory's kind of the, sh the same. From the moment you shake the squirrel out of the tree, she begins to 
decay. So in the 13 years um, immediately following her floating out, um, having cost £65,000 to build, um, uh, just over £20,000 is built maintaining her, and that's taking rotten bits out and putting new bits in. So by the time she goes to sea with a crew in her, um, 30% is not um, original, uh, if you like. Um, and then, of course, she had to be extensively rebuilt after Trafalgar, as we, and we will see why. Give me a sense of the awesome power of an early 19th century three-decker ship of the line. Um, the three-decker at the time is uh, the most complex object um, uh, built by the human race up until that time. Um, so it's uh, industrially extremely complex. They're extremely expensive to build. They are the absolute pinnacle. There are not very many of them because they are so expensive. Um, they have a firepower unlike anything else afloat. So they give you um, the opportunity to totally dominate. And, and, and people who are at the Battle of Trafalgar, who are serving in the ship, who have seen battle, um, write about the experience of battle, especially from the, the middle gun deck, where you have the lower gun deck below you, you have the guns around you, and you have the upper gun deck um, above you. And it is unlike anything um, they have seen before and in many cases are really able to to describe they write about their inability to describe what it's like to be on these um, ships in, in, in the heat of uh, battle the downside is they do have a tendency to um, sail a bit like a haystack they're, they're, they're not easy to maneuver and they're not quick um, so victory because she's a three-decker and she has a reputation for being a good sailor and a fast ship that is one of the reasons Nelson picks her uh, we sh we should say I think I think it's every battle that the Duke of Wellington fought, or Sir Arthur Wellesley, the Duke of Wellington fought in the Peninsula and Southern France. It's not until the Battle of Waterloo that he, his army has more cannon than are present on HMS Victory. So that that gives a sense of the firepower of just one of these battleships. Yeah, absolutely. Victory is a one hundred and four gun um, ship. As you say, that is a an extraordinary number of guns, and it, it's one that a um, army commander in the field. Um, until 10 years later, would not imagine being able uh, to present it. And Victory is one ship, admittedly a very large ship, but one of 27 ships um, in the British fleet at the Battle of Trafalgar. The majority of them are 74-gun ships. So, again, the, the cost of um, operating these things, the cost of building them and manufacturing them and supporting them at, at sea, is extraordinary. Um, and we're very lucky, I suppose, for, through geographic circumstance in the UK, that we have the choice to invest in um, the Navy um, and the Army to a certain extent. Um, took a little bit of a backseat, you know, discuss. I'm sure if you were speaking to someone at the National Army Museum, they, they might disagree with me there. But in terms of financial requirements operating these fleets at sea, um, there's very, very few countries that can do it and nobody else can really do it on the scale that Great Britain is able to do it out um, at this time. We'll cut a long story short. Uh, Napoleon has an army of invasion in, in northwest France. Uh, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of to afraid to say the least. But in October 1805, Nelson is on HMS Victory outside Cadiz. What's he doing there and what's his plan? Um, Nelson's intention, N Nelson's job really is to make sure 
that that fleet um, is not able to operate. And you, you can do that in two ways. You can either keep it in harbour, um, and that would require a close blockade to be quite close um, to um, the shore. Um, the risk you run there is that the weather can always intervene, and if you're blown off course, the fleet, your opponent can get out and lose you, ditch you if you if you like, and that's a, a risk. Or you can keep a distant blockade, which allows you to understand what's going on, but also may tempt your opponent out. And that's really what Nelson wants to do. Nelson's not that interested in sitting around. He's already been doing it for two years, two and a half years almost, um, in the Mediterranean. It's not terribly exciting. He wants a battle of annihilation. So his whole approach is, is to... Um, draw the French and Spanish out. There's various things happening on the continent, as you uh, suggest. It looks like there's going to be things happening in Italy. So he's pretty confident that um, the admiral in charge of um, the uh, uh, combined fleets, Villeneuve, is going to have to sail. So if he's going to have to sail, he wants him to get to um, a position where Nelson can fall on him and destroy him. He, he doesn't want a, a marginal victory. One or two ships captured isn't going to be enough. Um, giving Villeneuve the opportunity to get back into port is not going to be enough. He wants to destroy him. So to do that, he's 50 miles away and he's relying on a chain of frigates, small single deck um, ships, in many ways the workhorse of the fleet, um, to keep him up to date. They form a a signalling chain, if you like. They're stationed from horizon to horizon, so they can just see one another, and they will signal from Cadiz all the way out to uh, Nelson in victory and keep him up to date with what is happening. That's their role. So his intention is to monitor what's happening, and when the opportunity presents itself, lure the French and Spanish fleet to where he wants it and then fall upon them and destroy them. And the destroying is the key because... Explain to me what? How does Nelson? Um, how does Nelson deploy his fleet in a very unorthodox way? What, what's his plan for the Battle of Trafalgar? Nelson's plan is unusual, and he's um, spent quite a lot of time um, thinking about it. Um, and whilst he's been um, in London in August and early September of 1805, he's been talking to a lot of people uh, about it. And in fact, one of the Museum's national, uh, newest acquisitions, in fact, we've only just um, obtained this object on Wednesday last, um, is one of only two known uh, sketches of Nelson's plan for the Battle of Trafalgar. So that's quite a nice, exciting thing we've, um, we've been able to uh, come across. So whereas traditionally a battle at sea between opposing fleets um, would be fought um, very simply in, in nice long lines where you range up against one another uh, and fire away, um, until either the weather separates you, uh, night falls and fleets drift apart, you run out of um, ammunition um, or uh, the opposing fleets are able to outmaneuver one another um, and sail away. Um, that's how battles are going to be fought. They don't give you um, outright um, overwhelming victories. In many ways, you might argue they're a bit of a damp squib. That's not to do um, the people who are fighting them in the disservice, but you don't get an overwhelming victory. That's not good enough for Nelson. He wants this battle of annihilation. So instead of sailing parallel to the combined um, fleet, he's going to sail directly towards them. And he's not going to be in one line of ships. He's going to split his fleet into two. 
um, to divisions, um, as, as it's termed. And his intention is to sail directly towards um, the enemy uh, line. Um, that runs a risk because it means they're able to shoot at him um, for a lot longer to start with than he's able to shoot at them, but it does mean he can close on them quickly. He then wants to cut through their line at about the halfway point, um, and then at about um, three quarters of the way towards the back of um, their line, and then overwhelm the back end of the enemy fleet. And he can do that because he will have numerical superiority. The front of the um, French and Spanish fleet, the van as it's termed, is now going to have to turn around, which, um, when you're in a sailing ship, takes quite a long time. And he expects to um, obtain his victory, defeat the rear of the line, and then be in a position to overwhelm the van of the enemy should they decide to engage him. That's his plan. He, he, he set it out at the Admiralty, He's described it to the king, um, and he's described it to his captains over two nights on the um, uh, 28th and 29th of September, um, 1805. He's also briefed them in, uh, uh, in a memo as to how he expects this battle um, to be fought. There are stories to tell myths to explore, legends that shaped the medieval world to captivate the imagination. I'm Matt Lewis, and with my co-host, Dr. Kat Jarman, I've gone medieval. We're waiting here for you to join us. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and let everyone know that you've gone medieval with History Hits. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The, the, the downside with that plan is it's, there's, there's, a, there's a period of extraordinary vulnerability for the lead ships of the British fleet. Can you explain why? There is. So, so when, um, when the sun rises on the morning of October 21st, um, 
the French and Spanish uh, fleet is stretched out in a line um, about five miles long. Um, and it's um, slightly concave, this line. So it's further away uh, in the middle than it is um, at the ends. And Nelson is um, sailing in, in two lines directly towards it. And that means the 33 ships of the French and Spanish fleet can all fire at the two leading ships of the British fleet. So Nelson in victory um, and his number two, Cuthbert Collingwood in Royal Sovereign, know they're going to be exposed to fairly withering fire for quite a long time when they come in range of the enemy. And because the guns of a line of battleship are mounted on the broadside, on the side of the ship, they are not going to be able to return fire because they are head-on to the enemy. So it's only when they are able to punch through the line and then turn and fall upon um, individual ships that they will be able to return fire. Um, and that's the risk. It exposes you to an awful lot of fire for quite a long time. Uh, and that risk is magnified on October the 21st because the winds are very squally, they're quite light... And, and victory um, um, with Nelson uh, um, and Royal Sovereign with um, Collingwood are closing on the enemy at about a walking pace. So victory's under fire for um, well over 40 minutes before she's able to um, return fire um, with a, a reasonable degree of force. Uh, and, talk, and talk me through those 40 minutes. They, they, it was, a, it was a, a terrifying time to be on victory. It is, um, and, and Nelson, there's only one way he knows how to lead, and that's from the front. So he's out in front um, with victory at the head of his line. Um, Collingwood in Royal Sovereign is a little way ahead of him, um, uh, actually, and he's the first to um, smash through um, uh, the French line. But Nelson and Hardy, his captain on victory, and the sailors of, of um, victory, um, just really have to sit and wait as she painfully moves towards um, the enemy. And every once in a while, one of the French and Spanish ships will fire a ranging shot um, at victory. It's actually very difficult for the French and, um, and Spanish gunners because of the, the swell, this roll, which makes it difficult to aim. Um, but occasionally you'll hear the, you know, the crack of a gun in the distance uh, and the sound of one of these um, cannonball hurtling overhead like an express train. Um, and then one gun finds the range and puts um, a shot through um, one of the sails of victory. Um, and the, the accounts write that nothing happens for about 30 seconds. Um, and then there's a half dozen French and Spanish um, ships all open up all concentrating on, on victory. So you are looking at across those um, uh, six ships of show, probably um, a tonne to a tonne and a half of cannonballs being fired at, at, at victory um, every um, four or five uh, minutes. Now, they're still aiming into the rigging, um, but the range isn't um, the range is difficult for them. The swell's difficult for them, um, and occasionally they get um, a hit on victory. So the first person to be killed on victory is, is Nelson's um, personal secretary, a man named John Scott, who's cut in two by a cannonball. Then a double-headed shot that's intended to um, take down victory's mass and rigging and slow her down and prevent prevent her from moving. Um, a double-headed shot cuts through a line of 
um, Royal Marines killing um, eight of them. Another cannonball um, smashes into um, uh, some of the rails on Victory um, and passes um, between Nelson and Hardy, throwing splinters um, all over. And indeed, one of those splinters um, tears um, the buckle off um, Captain Hardy's shoe. And, and the survivors who were there um, write about both men stopping and, and staring at one another, disbelieving that they've um, escaped um, uninjured. And this is when Nelson um, passes one of the more famous remarks that this work is um, too warm to last very long, um, Hardy. It, it's a very, very dangerous period for the men of victory, especially those men exposed on the decks with Nelson in his full uniform, um, uh, who really has set out his expectations for battle and, and in many ways doesn't have a lot to do now. That's one of the peculiar things about Nelson's um, situation. He's got his fleet where he needs it, when he needs it. Um, he's explained his expectations to the captains of um, the ships of that fleet. The men are well-trained. They are well-provisioned. They know what's expected of, of them. So the die has been cast. So he's pacing back and forth, um, largely dictating his post-battle report at, at this time. And then HMS Victory crashes through the French and Spanish line. And give, give me a sense now of the, the range at which the action is taking place and the impact of HMS Victory's guns at that moment. Um, so Nelson is looking for the French flagship. He wants to hit the French flagship because unlike his approach, which is to make sure everybody knows what he expects of them, and then in battle accept that it's smoky and you can't read flag signals um, and a ship might be knocked out, which would um, mess up your command and control system. Um, the French have an approach which is very, very, very precise in who can give orders and when they'll give orders. Um, and they all come from the flagship. So he's aiming to knock the French flagship, um, Villeneuve's uh, flagship bus and tour, out um, take down its mass and rigging, put it out of action, and then he expects the French command and control system to, to fall apart. So he's, be, he's been aiming for a ship that he thinks is the French uh, flagship, and it turns out um, it's not. He's been aiming for the Santissima Trinidad, a Spanish ship. Um, when uh, the French flagship um, breaks out its colours, um, Hardy executes almost the equivalent of something like a handbrake turn at sea um, and readjusts Victory's course for Bucentaur, and the French have an inkling of what's about to happen. So their ships are very, very close together in a line. Um, and the ship that's next astern in the line of, of Bucentaur, the French ship Red Utaba, is so close that its bowsprit um, keeps grazing the stern of Bucentaur. They want to keep them together to make sure there's not room to push through the line so that if Nelson wants to try to do that, he has to have a collision broadside on broadside. Um, a small gap, however, opens up between um, the French flagship and the next ship astern, the Red Utah. And Captain Hardy asks Nelson, should he try for the gap or should he go um, in front of the flagship? Nelson tells him it doesn't much uh, matter, it's up to him. A very fateful decision because Hardy then decides to go for the gap and he punches through in between Bus and Tour, which just like Victory had these beautiful stern galleries, uh, glass windows, now all the glass has been removed, preparing for battle. But as each of Victory's um, guns on the broadside, over 50 guns, passes the back of the French ship, 
they fire. And they have been double and triple shotted with cannonball and K-shot. And K-shot is something that transforms the guns into effectively an enormous shotgun. That is discharged into uh, the stern uh, of Bussentor in a devastating um, uh, fire. There's over one and a half tonnes of metal leaving the side um, of, of Victory in this broadside. And that really um, puts paid to uh, Villeneuve. He's alive on the deck, but many of his gun crews have been uh, killed. Many of his guns have been um, dismounted. Um, and really his ability to influence events now going forward has ceased to exist. The problem we have on Victory um, is that the next ship astern uh, of Bussentor is Redoutab. And she is um, commanded uh, by Captain Luca. And Luca has very, very thoroughly drilled um, his men in close quarters fighting and boarding. And Victory and Redoutab become locked together. Their masts um, and rigging uh, tangled together. Um, and these two ships fall out of the line. Um, and Victory is now really in a very, very precarious and position up against um, this very, very, very competent opponent. And quite soon, Nelson pays the ultimate price for, for allowing Hardy to make that decision. He does. Um, Hardy and, and Nelson are continuing to um, pace the quarterdeck um, of uh, victory. Uh, and as I say, Nelson has been dictating um, uh, notes for his post-battle report firstly to his own secretary and then when John Scott is um, killed to, to Hardy's um, secretary and Hardy's a, a little um, way distant from him um, the, surrounded by smoke and the noise of uh, battle and the six guns on um, the quarterdeck of victory are being fired um, when Nelson is hit um, by what we, we now refer to as a sharpshooter that makes it sound almost like um, a, a, a sniper it, it, it's not that, these are um, the crew of the friendship uh, Redoutable up in the, the rigging of um, that uh, ship firing down onto the decks of Victory and there's great debate over whether was, Nel was Nelson specifically targeted because he was in his uniform with his medals and, and sequins um, actually there's a certain degree of evidence that suggests from the angle of um, uh, the shot he was hit by a, a rebound um, either way um, a musket is discharged from a distance of about 15 metres, so really very, very close. That fires a ball of lead um, almost three-quarters of an inch across, so getting on for two centimetres um, across, which strikes Nelson on the left shoulder. It pierces his shoulder, uh, passes um, through uh, the lung, uh, severs a branch of the pulmonary artery, passes through um, his backbone, breaking his back, and lodges um, under, um, in, in the muscle under his um, right shoulder. Um, and he, as you, he's, he's knocked to the deck, falls to the deck, um, and Hardy rushes over to him, and he's greeted by an explanation, they have done for me at, at last, Hardy, my backbone is shot through. Uh, Nelson's Nelson's carried below, uh, and and the situation of um, is pretty precarious for victory. But then, just before we deal with Nelson, tell me what happens when the the uh, the fighting Temeraire joins the line and and well inflicts almost unimaginable uh, or has an almost unimaginable impact. 
Absolutely, things are very, very precarious for Victory. The men on the deck have been exposed um, to this fire now for well over an hour on the run in, then as they've smashed through the line. And as well as ha of, um, having trained his men um, to be sharpshooters aloft, um, Luca of the Reditab has um, trained them and has them supplied with um, grenades. And these are iron spheres, two or three inches across, that have... Um, a fuse and a detonating charge. He's trained them with papier-mâché versions of, of, of these grenades. He occasionally has taken them ashore to show them what it's like to use a real one and what it feels like when they go off close to you and, and how to use them. And these grenades have been raining down onto Victory's decks um, to such an extent that within a few minutes of Nelson being carried below, um, Victory's upper decks are almost clear and she has to stop firing and men from the gun decks come up on deck to try and push back um, borders that it looks like are going to be coming over from Redutab. However, Redutab's men are so well trained um, that uh, they continue with the grenades and the men that have come up from below are driven back below on Victory and it looks like we're about to be boarded, and indeed the first of the French boarders are beginning to clamber up onto uh, Victory's forecastle. Um, when the ship astern of her in the line, um, the fighting Temeraire goes around and comes alongside on the disengaged um, side of, of Redutab, uh, firing um, a, a carronade, the, one of the heaviest guns um, that the British fleet has, into the exposed uh, French crew on the decks of Redutab, on the bow of Redutab, um, and then backing that up um, with a, a broadside. Um, and less than an hour later, um, Captain Luca um, has to um, surrender. And out of a crew of almost 650 men on that French ship, only 100 of them are left fit. Um, he, he's got 550 men who are killed and wounded, so that gives an indication of the horrendous punishment they've um, taken at the hands of Temeraire and also of Victory's broadside guns. Um, both Victory and Temeraire had to depress their guns, um, point them down as they were pointing out of the gun port to avoid their cannonballs passing through the French ship um, and, and hitting um, a fellow uh, British ship um, on either side. So um, horrendous, horrendous um, conditions uh, during the battle for Redutab at this time. Uh, casualty figures on a par with with what you might see on the first day of the Battle of Somme in some of those regiments. Absolutely. Let's let's just let, let's wind let's wind things up. Both well, it's a bit unpleasant, but both for Nelson and for the battle. Nelson's below deck. He's below the waterline. How how long does he linger for? He he lingers for um, around three hours, um, depends on, on, on which sources um, you are looking at. Um, he's carried down um, below. Uh, Beatty the surgeon, is um, uh, he's just amputated um, a limb. He's examined um, Lieutenant Ram, who was a close friend of his, and, and found him to be dead. He's a queue of about 30 uh, men waiting to be seen. When from further along the all-up deck on victory, he hears cries of Mr Beatty, the Admiral is here, Mr Beatty, the Admiral is wounded. And he moves forward to find Nelson, um, or at least a figure being carried down 
the stairs and this figure is, is their head and their chest is covered with a handkerchief which Nelson has specifically instructed should be done because he didn't want the sight of him being carried through the gun decks to have a negative impact upon the morale of the crew and as this handkerchief um, slips Beatty realises who is it who it is rushes forward to help him being carried to um, Victory's side um, but Nelson says doctor there is nothing that can be done um, for me and again reiterates that his backbone's been shot through he describes feeling a spurt of blood into his um, breast every time his heart beats so uh, Beatty's typical approach to a gunshot wound um, is that he places his index finger um, into it if he can feel the projectile he stands a chance of removing it but he can see clearly and from Nelson's description he's paralyzed he feels a gush of um, blood he knows there's very little to be done, that that wound is catastrophic, and so confirms to uh, Nelson that he, he, he is sadly going to die. So Nelson is propped against the ship's side on the all-up deck um, with his, his retinue, the ship's purser, Walter Burke, who's one of the oldest people, the oldest person on board. In fact, his um, steward, Chevalier, the Reverend Scott, um, and he is... Um, uh, really being then given a running commentary of what is happening and every once in a while a cheer will go up from uh, Victory's um, crew showing that one of the enemy ships has struck um, and Nelson becomes quite obsessed with this idea that um, Hardy, um, who's a close friend, they've known each other a long time, Hardy um, has been uh, killed and he keeps asking for him. Eventually Hardy's able to um, come below and and tell Nelson that things are going well, um, that none of our ships um, have uh, struck, and they exchange um, um, some talk around the fact that Nelson um, cannot live and so on and so forth. Be, um, Hardy then goes away and returns uh, around 40 minutes later um, to confirm um, this wonderful uh, victory. Um, how many ships is Nelson's question? Um, 14 or 15 is Hardy's response. They actually end up with um, 20 um, in, in the end on the day. Um, and Nelson's comment is, I had bargained for 20. Um, and then you get a, a kind of change in Nelson's uh, um, thought process here. Um, he does say, and he repeats actually, thank God I have done my duty. Um, but this is almost a point where his thought process moves from his responsibility as an admiral to his 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 crew, his ship, his fleet, his country, his king, um, to the fact he is now um, on uh, the deck of victory. He is dying. I'm I'm quite sure um, he must have been um, afraid. Um, his thoughts turn to um, Emma Hamilton, um, and he um, talks to Hardy and, and, and asks Hardy to make sure that she's taken care of, and he uh, leaves her as an obligation uh, to the state in terms of making sure that she receives a pension. He also talks about um, his daughter with uh, Emma Hamilton, Horatia, and I think it's at this point that he's, he's really turning to those who are um, dearest to him, to his loved ones, when he's on the deck and he knows he's dying, um, that he he desires some human touch, some human affection, and that's why he asks Hardy, kiss me Hardy, and Hardy bends and kisses him on the cheek and stands and pauses in reflection for a few moments and then bends again, um, kisses him on the forehead this time, and Nelson, who is really 
um, very close to death at this point and can no longer see, asks, who is that? And someone remarks, oh, it is Hardy, my lord. And that apparently just becomes too much for Hardy, who is a very good friend of Nelson. He departs the scene. That's the last time he sees his commander-in-chief um, alive. And Nelson now goes downhill very, very quickly. He's been giving sips of lemonade because he's incredibly thirsty um, and he's very hot. They're rubbing his chest because um, he finds that uh, eases uh, the pain. Um, and then he asks or um, somehow falls and has to be made comfortable. But he, he's moved um, onto his right side and that speeds his death because the blood that had filled the left lung now drains into the right um, lung and, and, and puts that um, out of uh, action. And he, he quietly slips away, um, whispering... Um, depends on the reports, God and my country, um, or thank God I have done my duty, um, or indeed drink, drink, rub, rub, fan, fan, as him, he was um, having those around him care for him. Um, and, and he passes away. And that, um, that, that um, horrendous fact when um, it is reported to the fleet who can see they've obtained a victory, but then learn that Nelson has fallen um, in the course of that victory. Um, the celebrations, well, don't happen. Um, and indeed, the Prime Minister um, can't sleep when he hears that Nelson has been uh, killed. The King is rendered speechless when he's told of this battle, of this victory at Trafalgar, but that Nelson has been um, lost. Andrew, just quickly, why, is the tr why did Trafalgar matter? 20 enemy ships captured. Why, why is it seen as this absolutely, you know, uh, landmark naval battle? Um, there has never been a victory like it before. Um, it comes at a, a time where things are going pretty badly and continue to go pretty badly um, on the continent, uh, on land. So it's always nice to have um, a victory somewhere you can celebrate. And Trafalgar is certainly a very, very big victory. I think it is also um, hugely important and, and very relevant um, to to the navy because Nelson, who was this exceptionally charismatic and brilliant leader um, of, of men, um, who is you know there, there will never be anyone to match him. I think as far as the navy is concerned, falls at, at the absolute moment of his greatest achievement, and I think those facts combined have really cemented it. For the in our national psyche for the last two hundred years, and no doubt for the the next two thousand years. Uh, Andrew, it's always such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. It's always great to see you down in Portsmouth. Everyone go and visit the National Museum of the Royal Navy in Portsmouth, HMS Victory. It's the greatest single object in any museum on planet Earth. Thank you for sparing us the time on Trafalgar Day. Uh, um, and it's very exciting news about the new sketch in Nelson's own hand. So congratulations. Thank you. Always great to be with you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.